Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, I'm back with Matt and Sid at Novo, and we had such a good conversation on Tuesday, just understanding a little bit more about your guys' background, how you were approaching this project together from a strategy perspective, the nuances and complexities of Novo's business model that make them unique and make them really be a differentiator in the market, but also can be a complexity when it comes to things like fraud and security and verification and KYC. Just building off of our conversation from Tuesday, the first place I wanted to start today was talking about a big part of strategy is being able to identify if and which vendors can support that strategy, right? Like, does that technology exist now? Um, Matt talked on Tuesday about how important it is to you guys to be able to predict and understand fraud before it happens rather than waiting for it to hit your system. And so how do you verify, wait, okay, this is a great idea on paper, but are there providers that can help us get there? So Sid, when you're going through the vendor selection process, and I laugh a little just because I do hear so many complaints about it, in this area specifically in in fraud and identity because there's just so many claims that aren't always true. But when you guys were looking for vendors to be able to support the strategy you set up, what were you looking for? And then what were some of the challenges that you came across? Sure. That's a hard question. I think vendor selection (laughs) is... is, a loaded question? Vendor selection is difficult, right? I think every, as you said, every vendor sells you like the product and everyone's, oh yeah, we blow this other vendor out of the market. And that's always the thing, right? I think for me and my experience, when I've been doing this kind of vendor selection based on strategy, this is definitely like a test base. Like it has to be a data-driven decision. Hmm. Let me just say, I, I would like categorize this in a couple of different ways. I get very organized with my selection process, right? There's a couple of ways I think about it. One is performance, right? Performance is important. Probably the most important thing I'll think through. And performance can be like both from false positive ratio, like a false positive rate, but like how many users are getting identified accurately. Those are all like conversion and like fraud capture. Those are all like part of the performance metrics that we'll look at. And that's probably my first and foremost. Now, unfortunately, working with fintechs, right? Like you're always like resource constraints and you can't just go out and integrate with 10 different vendors and say, hey, we're going to do a you know a ranking. That was exactly right? what my question was going to be, yeah. <laughs> so another thing that plays... How do you do data-driven vendor selection? Right. When I was literally, that was my follow-up. Right. When you can't do a POC or integration with every vendor that makes these claims. And I'll dive into that more in a minute, but I really love to know how you guys did that. Um, I would say that or didn't, right? I think like vendors who have an ability to like test without a big integration are at a massive advantage because it, I will say as a product manager, it makes my life very much easier to be able to just say, hey, I'm going to send you, you know, these a thousand transactions and you're going to give me performance metrics. It makes it very easy. So I think technical integration is another like key point when I think about vendor integration, like how quickly can I roll out a test, right? If it's going to take me multiple sprints to roll out a test. Right. 
that's a con that that's a conversation to be had whether like how yeah. like, where you need to go with this so i think technical integration is definitely a big portion here and like we've been successful in situations where our vendor has had the ability to like test very quickly for us and give, give us performance mm. metrics whether it be through like sending an email to users as they're signing up or what happened yeah i did actually hear about yeah there's somebody i was talking to the other day that was talking with a vendor and they said something about yeah we had a company similar to yours send us orders that were all fraud and we identified them as all fraud and i was like wait did they know they were fraud ahead of time He's like, that's basically what they're saying. I'm like, that's not a nope, test. Nope, that's not. It has. <laughs> to, it's got to be a guess. I, mean, I just, I didn't think that anyone would ever do that. So I was like, and that the vendor was bragging about it to other prospects. Like, hey, we passed these people's tests. It sounds like they gave you the answers ahead of time. So I don't know how that's good. But I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's the biggest challenge. I think that it's really, I was actually talking with somebody in um, on the sales side of a vendor not too long ago. I was trying to understand this market. And they said, you know, the craziest thing to me is a lot of the people in fraud prevention and identity, they need to be data-driven and they want to be data-driven. And that fraud and identity are such, you know, about the gray area and are, you need to be precise, right? You can't can't fish with a net. You got to fish with a pole. You say all those things all the time. They said then because they can't do like a tech integration, they seem to go with the sales guy that does the most bullshitting. <laughs> and they're like, I don't understand. When our tool gets to the POC point, we almost always beat everyone else out. But because we don't want to lie or what, I mean, this is their perspective. I gave them a few other points like, well, I don't think it's just that. There's some other things you can do. But from their perspective, they're like, but our competitors that just say they have something or that they can do something, they know that they're not going to be tested on it until after the contract is signed. And, you know, they're signing three-year contracts. So it is kind of a conundrum, right? There are definitely some good technology out there that's being built as a platform, like no code platforms where the, they're integrating to those systems and you know you can then integrate to them without an API, but those are coming, right? So sure. when you weren't able to do those POCs, then there were, obviously you probably narrowed it down, right? You didn't do a, even a, a low integration POC with all 10. I imagine coming from a product perspective, I'm married to a product manager so for a tech company. So I know a little bit about it as far as having your criteria and making sure that they can meet those. Was there any other challenge that you had on that phase with, with these type for either one of you to chime in as far as in this area when you were going through? Because also I know that speed was very important, right? Like we just need to... <laughs> We need to get these things in now. So we need to make sure you can do what you say and that this could happen. You didn't have eight months of a sales cycle like some companies. Obviously, as you've as you said before, Chris, like getting to customers, as you said, you know, like talking to, hey, do you use this vendor? What's your experience? Not, it's very important not to go through the vendor to get at some of their customers. So to the extent that you can find customers that are using that platform, that's always like a really positive sign when they're like happy and excited to talk to you about it. Another like sign that I take pretty seriously, I guess, as a product manager, you know, thinking about the user experience and like customer empathy is your vendor empathetic to the fact that there is a there's a human element of fraud right there's a human cost to <laughs> fraud and letting letting that on your platform it impacts everyone not just the vendor the customer like the, your user your other users on your platform so i think that's also like an interesting gauge that i if you're being super metrics driven that's hard to quantify but it's something to keep in mind when your sales rep is like talking about it from an empathetic standpoint so these are some of the things that i not just yeah 
I guess it's a good point, right? And from your perspective, you're talking about like, hey, what about our good customers? Like, how are you empathetic towards those? Because too many vendors that are focused on identity verification are thinking about keeping the bad guys out. And that is so important. But it's also about keeping the good guys in because those are the ones that pay your bills. Those are the ones that pay your company's bills, your revenue. And technically, they're the ones who pay the vendor's bills, right? Nobody's making money off of fraud, whether they're identified or not. Now, obviously, you're losing money if they're not identified in time, but you're still, to Matt's point, you're still paying out your fraud vendors if you identify it at the time it's happening too. I think that's such a good point. And I think that's a really good lesson for people on the vendor space that listen to this podcast, that coming at it from thinking about how your customer's customer is going to experience your product is important. I've seen some very big headlines over the years about specific companies online where I know that the cause of those headlines was a fraud or identity or security vendor, right? Because I know the behind the scenes of it. So just one example, like you got to think about your customer's customer or else you're going to be the reason why your customer's in the headlines and they're not going to be happy with you. <laughs> and they'll tell totally. you in the industry. Totally. I think the other piece is, Chris, like I think it's very challenging for merchants and businesses out there to identify what is considered a good vendor, what's considered a poor performing vendor, et cetera. I always recommend now three key criteria mm. to piggyback off of what Sid just said. Yeah. 100% aligned with what you said, Sid. I think those are really good points, especially from a product manager vetting or a fraud prevention manager. That's a really good way to view it. From a merchant level or someone that doesn't have in-house expertise, like there, there's a few, like I can tell you that there's virtually no vendor out there that will be a cookie cutter, one size fits all that will solve a hundred percent of your problems. So right. the, you, there's definitely vendors out there that can solve a majority of your problems, but they're not going to solve a hundred percent. So you always want to take the approach that I'm probably going to need more than one vendor. And if used properly, the return on investment should easily be clear and it should be very little pushback if you're integrating properly and you're leveraging them properly. The other piece, though, is like when you size a vendor in particular, there's positives and negatives to, to both, right? So, for example, in a large vendor, a large technology vendor or fraud prevention vendor, the benefit of that route is you have the network effect, right? They have a variety of customers on their network. They could have similar vendors or merchants on their network. So you have this like data sharing model within that network effect. However, when you go the smaller route where you have more newer companies in the industry, newer companies in the space, they're going to be much more willing to adapt and build to your needs. Hmm. Whereas the large companies, you are one small, tiny fish, even how big you think you are in the big pond. So, you know, when you call them up and say, hey, we need this new API or whatever it may be that we're building, right? Most of the big vendors will laugh you out of the call and just say like, yeah, we'll add it to our roadmap in 2025. Whereas small vendors, because they are trying to build up their reputation and build up their client base, they're going to be more willing to take an aggressive approach at actually like meeting your needs. So some of that is like that balancing act of finding what's good for your business. And hey, if you are a very unique, specialized business that are probably going to have unique needs, it might be better to look at a different approach than a large vendor that's going to be cookie cutter. If you're a very similar traditional e-commerce platform with very similar needs as everyone else, yeah, there's some probably stronger vendors out there that you could leverage the network effect on. And then the final piece that I always say is, and this is directly off of what both you have said in the past, Carice, and what Sid just said is like they should have a true understanding 
of friction in particular. And what I mean by this is a lot of fraud prevention vendors will either focus on one of two areas. It's either fraud capture or fraud precision. So there's, they can have extremely high precision where they say like, hey, we're going to stop 99.9% .9 of all fraud on your platform. Or they will say, for example, we're going to stop 85% of the fraud on your platform. However, we're going to have extremely low friction, low step ups. You're not going to be challenging your good customers. You're protecting it. So finding that balance of precision versus capture. Right. High precision means that you're going to be more targeted. The fishing net is going to be much smaller. Right. So if I'm trying to get a shark in a pond, right, then your best bet is to get a net that has the exact size to where small fish can swim through, but the sharks can't. Right. Mm -hmm. However, if I am saying, hey, I don't really necessarily care about catching the small fish that I'm going to get the biggest net that I can and I'm going to just sweep the whole pond, right? Because I guaranteed I'm going to get the sharks that way, mm -hmm. but you're going to get all of the smaller ones too. That's a big key piece that people miss is that when you're mm -hmm. choosing technology, you're choosing vendors, look at the friction piece, look at like, are they more on the fraud precision rate or are they more on the fraud capture rate, which is going to be key for your strategy. I'm finding the balance of that because totally. I think that's, yeah. A big piece of it is finding the balance. Because if you go 100% fraud capture or 100% fraud precision, somebody's losing out. You're either going to have 100%. Yeah. And that's always the balancing act that whenever a company first has a fraud problem, and again, this is assuming that they don't have leadership that says, hey, we want to make sure that our customers are secure at the very beginning before we do things, that oftentimes it's like, we just want to stop the fraud. But then there's this adoption of like, wait, how much of the good stuff are we stopping? And then you, now you have to balance, right? Your approval rate with your decline rate or your chargeback and your fraud hit rate, right? Whereas banking and, and fintech have different metrics, but they're similar. Are we allowing enough? Are we not stopping our customers, right? Are we having that empathy piece where we're allowing our customers an understanding, hey, it might just be just $200 to us, but that was how you were going to buy your groceries for your family tomorrow. And on the flip side, making sure that, hey, <laughs> we don't want anyone else to steal. You know, we need to make sure we're keeping the bad guys out, right? And not just identifying them after they try to hit your account or open an account, but not even let them come in. Actually, that's a really good segue because I want to dive in to what I've been really excited about. You guys have done some really cool things around identity. You've done some cool things around different scenarios with when fraudsters do, you know, attempt to do things, so that kind of thing. So I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit more high level about how you approached identity as well as what the unique things were for this were you setting up Novo and I know different products within and have different risk issues. And so each one has to have a different risk strategy, but, and that's something that's different as Matt said for FinTech than it is like a standard e-commerce merchant or standard bank, that kind of thing. But so what have you been working on that just people are going to go, Whoa, I haven't heard of that before, but that's really cool. Yeah. I'll kick it off and Sid, I'm going to pass it to you, especially on the identity pieces. So one of the things that I always tell companies, but especially companies with multiple product offerings, is that each product or vertical requires its own fraud strategy. And I would even make the argument that most every product or every vertical requires its own payment strategy as well. With that being said, one of the challenges that, that we will see, especially in the fintech space or the, any of the technology spaces where there's multiple verticals, multiple products, 
is that you may have either the problem of only having one company fraud prevention strategy across the board, which will not fit any of them really correctly, or <laughs> you will have multiple fraud, fraud strategies. However, they are not synergistic to each other. They're not communicating properly and they don't work off of each other. There are some really interesting approaches that you can take in the industry to help build a kind of world-class, best-in-class, whatever you want to call it, fraud prevention strategy on a multi-product, multi multi-vertical platform. Some of it has to do with using leveraging new technologies and how that can flow. So for example, on, you know, like you have to think a little bit out of the box. I'm trying not to like give out the secret sauce by still talking about it, but some of it is like, for example, there's new cutting edge technologies that you may use in different ways. For example, most companies out there, behavioral biometrics is a hot topic now. Behavioral biometrics can be leveraged very effectively, for example, during an onboarding flow where you're looking if people are copying and pasting data, right? That should be off of memory. So what are the chances that someone's going to copy and paste their last name? Very unlikely. It's possible. What are the, you know, with their date of birth, there are things that should be memory that are faster to type than it is actually copied off of page, right? However, leveraging, for example, that same behavioral biometrics to help you decision on different areas of the product or leveraging it in different ways and being unique about how you're applying things is a really effective way to like integrate these new technologies in a more unique way. The other things that I always recommend for companies especially is really just laying tripwires and landmines. So across the platform, right? So there should be really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your platform is. It doesn't matter how good you think your onboarding is. 100% of every single company, even the best in class companies out there have fraud on their platform. They're going to get through whether you like it or not. So you have to assume that there's either fraudsters already on your platform or somehow they made it through. Right. Even if you have a hundred vendors during the, you know, the, your onboarding. <laughs> your Sometimes when you have a hundred, you're actually going to have more. Like Sid is cringing. <laughs> But also, I know of a true story of a fairly good brand that, or big name brand that several years ago had a lot of fraud and the company basically said, you have a blank check for your budget. So the joke became, oh yeah, these guys use everyone. Well, then they had like really, really high false positives because like, I mean, there was redundancy, like redundancy and, and they weren't, to your point earlier, they weren't leveraging them correctly, right? They weren't leveraging them against each other. They're just throwing everything up against the wall. They weren't being strategic about it. Now, granted, a lot of other merchants would contact them and go, hey, how are you seeing this vendor perform against that vendor? Because it was like a live POC with all of them, but it was not set up strategically at all. It wasn't like, okay, we're just going to use this vendor in this situation, like for fraud orchestration, which I'm getting, getting more and more excited and geek out about every time I learn about new capabilities of fraud orchestration. And, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing, but I just had to throw that out there. Like more vendors is not, I, and I know you knew that. But yeah, I just at the same time, right? Yeah. So keep going. Just want to throw that up there, throw out that out there also because I love seeing, yeah, Sid's face going, no, that would be (laughs) (laughs) good point. No, it is. It's a good point. Good story because a lot of times there will be companies out there that will get multiple vendors to solve the problem. And then what that ends up happening is just a lot of noise and that noise creates false positives, et cetera. And again, like leverage them strategically with each other and know each one's strengths and weaknesses and understand the worst cases and yeah, avoid overlap. Etc. Yes. And by taking kind of a landmine approach to, or we call it like tripwires, as one of our co-founders says, is you can lay tripwires across your platform to where as these 
bad actors try to come onto the platform or try to use the product, right? Good customers follow similar patterns and use cases on a platform. Bad customers will also follow similar patterns. They sometimes will try to trick you. They'll sometimes try to come up with new ways that they could like make themselves look like good customers. But even that will have its own unique signature and trend, right? So that's the best part is like, even when they try to make themselves look like a good customer, that act of trying will have its own unique signature. Some things that you can do is you can try to lay tripwires so that they will purposely trigger those tripwires, which can trigger step ups, can trigger new verification processes, can trigger liveness scans, can trigger MFA, 2FA checks, can trigger different types of friction points that help you protect your platform. And so a lot of times what companies will do is they really integrate a lot of the technology in two places. They do it usually during onboarding. And when I say onboarding, I also need like account login, right? And they do it at transaction point, right? So those are the two primary places. However, if you really want a best in class platform, it really should be across the entire platform. You shouldn't wait till the customer's either already at your doorstep, but you should also not wait till they're already using a stolen credit card to make the transaction, right? So having those tripwires laid out throughout the platform to catch them as they're using your platform or product is critical to be able to have a very low fraud rate while still protecting your customers. So those are some of the kind of the things that we like on the fintech side in particular that we're we're working on is how do we effectively lay out tripwires and these booby traps right across platforms and across different verticals and products without impacting our good users and our good customers, but at the same time, looking, targeting behavior, targeting unique signatures of bad actors, which in my opinion is really like the way to go because it is much easier nowadays, back in the day that wasn't true, to use device emulators and use things to try to spoof your who you are, what your device is, et cetera. It's much harder to do that with signatures and with behaviors. 110%. So we didn't really talk about this part. I mean, I knew you were using landmines and, and, and tripwires, but I didn't totally know what they what you meant by that until just now. So I'm especially geeking out because this is something that I've been there are some kind of early adopters on the larger e commerce side who think like this as well, and who have been doing this. There's also, you know, at least one company I know of that does sponsor the podcast from time to time that offers this as well and provides the engineering resources and the infrastructure to do that without even the company having to set up one API, right? Let alone all the individual APIs. So I love hearing that because that's exactly where I think we should be going to. I've never thought of them as you know landmines and tripwires, but being able to track them throughout the entire customer journey and not exactly. just when they're creating an account, signing into an account or transaction is should be common sense to us. But because we haven't had that ability before, because we've been limited and our like our sites almost like a racehorse have just been like limited to just when a payment method is used or just when a transfer or withdrawal is happening or just when a login is happening, we've gotten so used to that. There's so many other cool behavior things that you can find when you open it up and take those blinders off and you're like, wow, I can see from the minute they enter our site, which page are they going to? What are they clicking on? How long is it taking them? Are they copying and pasting their birth date and their phone number? You know, and that's different from um, browsers having that information stored it's in them, obviously. Different. It's completely yeah. different. I've been, I have not talked, I think I 
do know who I'm very familiar with some of the earlier behavior biometrics companies over mm-hmm. the years, especially that worked with the banks in them thinking about, hey, should we go over to e-commerce? And they've done some really cool tests with some companies that I'm privy to, to know the difference and be able to see, wow, you can really get done. Because once you realize how much like metadata is available to be able to mm-hmm. know how those customers are entering their information or where they're clicking exactly or how they're holding their phone. Exactly. Are, do they always use their index finger when they're typing in their phone or they use their thumbs? How often are they in the bathroom? No, I'm kidding. That's not exactly. Oh, yeah. You can't get that down to biometrics because yeah. that's into privacy, but it's pretty remarkable. And so it's, you know, when you start to realize what's possible, and I think that's the difference, right? Is that the three of us love to learn what's possible rather than just what do people have, right? Kind of like what you said earlier, Matt, like instead of saying, okay, I want to adjust in it to what the vendor has. No, I want the vendor to adjust me or at least to be able to say, hey, this is what we're working towards. Correct. I mean, now. But this is what we're working towards and we'll wait till we find someone that does it or we'll create it ourselves in-house, but we see the importance of it. Correct. Yeah, go ahead, please. uh, Yeah, I was going to say that the best analogy that I try to give to people when explaining this strategy is it's like having a security system in your house. (laughs) And what we have always had in the past is we have the burglar walking up to your door and then we have the burglar leaving your house but you have no security footage of what they did inside your house. Mm, And that that's the approach that we have to take to really move forward in the industry is like, you need that entire journey of what's happening when they're on your platform, when they're in your house, when they're rummaging through your stuff to help you make a better determination because that burglar might've walked out with nothing or they might've walked out with diamond rings, right? Right. And being able to make accurate decisions. And by the way, correct. And by the way, hey, sometimes there may be even use cases where you say you let the burglar on on purpose and you let them rummage around through and you let them walk out maybe with nothing or maybe with something or maybe with a fake diamond ring because then you learn how they did that and you learn those approaches Hmm. and then that's how you learn how to set tripwires in the future so those are that's a like kind of a basic analogy of what we've been doing in the fraud prevention space if we're focusing on account creation on login and transaction that's to your front door how that maybe how they got into your front house, right. but it, but and then when they walk out the back door, but you have no idea what they were doing inside your house. And that's where the fraud took place. The fraud didn't take place when they were entering your house. It took place when they were rummaging through your stuff and stole your diamond ring. And that's what we've been missing. And I think that's really the future is applying behavioral biometrics, applying tripwires, applying the technologies in an efficient way to leverage the best, to, to leverage in, and get the best results from the technologies. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. 
And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models. And their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. I am just geeking out because it's solidifying so much of what I've been talking about and looking at and, and feeling like that's where we need to go. And I think a big reason for that is kind of back to what you guys said on Tuesday where, and I think because of your business model, you're having to figure this out sooner than the majority of the industry because a lot of your target customers don't have those anchoring baselines that everyone else, well, not everyone, but the majority of the industry have. And so if you have a standard business model, or if you have, you've been able to make do with the strategy that you have now, I can say like, it's easy to say what is 100% fraud and what's 100% not fraud, right? But the opportunity and I think the difference between a company being very successful in not only revenue, but maintaining their customers trust and retaining their customers trust over and over again is their ability to identify those good customers that look risky and the risky customers that look or the risky orders that look and accounts that look like good customers and that's that gray area and more and more to your point on tuesday too we have to know the fraudster capabilities. I mean, if you don't know how easy it is for you know a fraudster to get access to a good person's email inbox, then you're not going to know, oh, I can no longer say, oh, okay, this, this email has been open for this long and it looks like it belongs to the person who credit card belongs to. Well, you're still not proving that the person who's making the purchase is the person who belongs to the email and the credit card and the address. That's different. You're tying these identifiers together. You're not tying them to the person person doing the purchase. But if you're looking at the behaviors, things that can't be spoofed, and obviously there are some things that we don't say because we're aware that this is a public platform. Uh, There's a lot of things we don't say, but there's a lot of things that we can identify in looking at the data, uh, which is Sid's favorite word and why you're so good at this, Sid, and why you've been able to be so good at carrying through this strategy because Matt's the dreamer. Matt's the big picture whiteboard guy. You're the one that has to carry that out and do it. But so you're both equally important. That's why the, yeah, you let the data tell the story. I'm exactly the same. I feel like I'm somewhere a mix in between you both, but depends on which part of my brain I use every day. But so Sid, like taking that over, what has that looked like as you're building this path? right? With, you know, landmines and tripwires, but also allowing your good customers to go all the way through without having friction and all of that. Yeah. What does that look like in the ways that you can talk about it, obviously? 
You, what you can't see, by the way, is is Sid has some gray hairs growing, which are new <laughs> from the last four months. So that we'll kick it off with that. They uh, have the name Lego <laughs> on them, or yeah. they have vendors yeah. on them. Some, which one some are some we? Late night for sure of him trying <laughs> to to turn a strategy into a real working product. He's that's the key. Yeah, I, I can add a, <laughs> a bit of detail there. So I think like something that I've learned a lot from our customer, and like, look, we don't get it right. I guarantee you, you will not get it right the first time and the second time, third time, and you just have to keep iterating on it. And I think the one thing we heard from our customers, and I take a lot of customer interviews, especially when there's friction, is mm. that they don't mind that there are tripwires. Like they don't mind that there mm. are security measures. In fact, they like it because they think, okay, my account is safe. What they don't like is when they can't get through it and so it's about like defining like it's about like qualitatively creating these checks that like challenges that are both challenging but like for a good user would not be like to take Matt's analogy Mm. of the house and breaking into the house you want to set up you want to set up cameras you want to set up actual trip wires that the you know the person who lives in the house knows exactly like maybe a little speed bump right right there but you what you don't want to do is put five doors between the door and the closet so that they can't (laughs) you have to open each door and then maybe you forget the key for the third door and the fourth door and you're like you're stuck I think that's like (laughs) one again and that comes back to the customer empathy bit like you you, you have to know that your tripwires are and your doors and whatever you put in there is going to catch some great users. And as we said, we're fintech, we're dealing with people's money, their life savings, their small businesses. Like we can't have situations where a user can't access their account. We can't have situations where a user can't pay their contractors or get paid by someone via invoices or, or what have you. These are just situations that we can't afford to have because that's an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's like the only bit that's been the trickiest is like, how do we define these measures, right? We can define where we want to mm. put it. We can define, like, how do you define the thresholds? How do you define like exactly what those measures are qualitatively to balance these two things and love you matt you're like amazing at setting up this strategy (laughs) but like i'm very glad that like i come from a product side to like deliver this roadmap exactly yin and yang brother i can my focus is customers and customer empathy and like i feel like i can marry these two things in a way that like exactly well and it's important right i mean matt and i being so strategy focused and i am also product focused too i've just had to do both probably because i'm a one-woman band so i'm not lucky enough to have a sid so i've had to you know balance out both of those pieces but i can say that i think those of us that are big picture strategy people, we need that yin and yang, right? We need that balance, whether it's to keep our feet on the ground from a gravity perspective, or whether it's, I think you're both two sides of the same coin that are able to move forward, right? Like you couldn't, exactly. you couldn't have one without the other. So I, so I was so excited to speak with you both because I think you guys have really done a good job of working together and being able to learn from each other and say, hey, that may not work because of this. Or I know you don't think that'll work, but what if you tried this way? You know, like both are important to really maximize the capabilities. Yeah, and I will say Matt is, and uh, Matt is amazing. Like I have worked with others before who were like, no, this is how it must be. And Matt is right. amazing at like mm. listening and ensuring that we like meet that, that middle point i appreciate you matt <laughs> no I, I appreciate the feedback and no likewise said like i think <laughs> 
I think it's super important to, and I told Sid this, I think even today I said, you can be in the industry for 20 years and still only still have 99% left to learn. Oh, And so it's yes. incredibly important to have, and like Carice, like you, one of the first times we met, you told the story about a new chargeback analyst that solved the problem, even though all of the other, the managers and fraud team, fraud managers, you know, when you were consulting, didn't have the answer, but someone <laughs> new in the room did. And so sometimes <laughs> when right, like that's where- in the room did and I exactly yeah they'd been exactly. in the room for six hours and everyone I, I took me a second to remember the yeah but and then after like you know all these higher ups are like oh we can't figure this out and I just said hey you haven't talked yet I'd love to hear your well do you exactly think that we're getting all these chargebacks because of what nobody do that yeah, yeah. exactly it's important exactly to listen. I try to listen as much as I talk oh <laughs> no no you're totally yeah, to totally. And like, but most importantly for anyone out there that's either on the fraud management or fraud strategy side, pair yourself up with a good product manager that's going to push back on you. Mm. It is incredibly important. Not only does Sid not want to have a yes man or no man or woman, no, no woman, yes woman, but, but you also, you know, you want to find someone that's going to like poke holes in your logic, right? Yes. They need to be able to challenge you because what will come out of that is like Sid might push back and say like, Hey, I think we should do it this way because of X, Y, and Z. And I may say, well, like I disagree for this reason. And then what comes out of that is we find that middle ground where it's that perfect sweet spot where we get, we're both solving for the same problem and we arrive at the same goal. However, we've solved now multiple problems by doing that. So it's really yeah. important to have that good feedback mechanism and having a healthy relationship with you know your product team and engineers because they should be able to push back on you, but you should absolutely be able to push back on them and do it in a healthy way to where you both grow from it. I couldn't say it any better, Sid. Yeah, I think that's so important for both of you, right? I mean, Sid, I couldn't agree more that it's important to have a visionary or somebody leading the bus or driving the bus who is flexible and humble, who doesn't have to have it just be the way that they want it to be and be ego focused. I think uh, for sure, you know, all of us in this industry and in any industry in tech have definitely run across that. But fraud and identity are one area where you, I mean, to Matt, to your point, like not only is it, you know, 20 years of experience and still not know everything, it's that it's changing all the time, right? Like the things, Correct. the companies that we thought were really, we were just, you know, talking about this before we recorded, like some of the companies that I really like identified as forward thinking five, six, seven years ago, they made a choice not to continually to innovate, not to invest in R&D, not to invest in their customer support, and instead just market the heck out of what they had. And unfortunately, that has has left them in the dust to either newer companies or companies who have decided, hey, yeah, we've been around longer, but we're investing in our customers. We're investing in what they need and adapting and growing with them. And as long as we keep growing with them and offering things, whether it's us specifically or through a partnership, then we're, it's that longevity, right? It's that from a vendor perspective, it's the short term versus the long term. It's the marathon versus the sprint. But from the merchant or the practitioner perspective, you know, wanting to be able to grow. You know, nobody wants to have to switch providers every few years, but you have to if you want to keep serving your customers. And that's what it's exactly. down to. Yeah. Guys, I don't know how we did it. I know that we could talk for like a whole other episode or two, and I'd love for you guys to come back in a couple of months. I think it'd be so fun. But, you know, we're just about at time for this second episode this week. But I'd love to hear just some, I mean, you guys, we, we could just obviously ended it at the love fest of saying, you know, how much you guys liked working with each other. But <laughs> yeah, right. 
I'd love to just have you both kind of share some final thoughts and what you hope people listening from this who are working on these things and think, well, that must be nice, but we don't have this or whatever it is. Just like sure. what takeaways, what final thoughts do you have for people listening today? Yeah, I guess I'll kick off the yeah. my final thought and pass it to you, Sid. But for me, my two two things that I would say is number one, collaboration is king in this case or queen in this case. You have to reach out to the industry, learn from people that have already made the mistakes, learn from the creases of the industry, learn from people that are on the boots on the ground. It doesn't matter whether you're an analyst starting out or a veteran in the industry for 15 or 20 years. I guarantee you, you have things to learn. Reach out, communicate. Don't feel embarrassed to ask questions. Don't feel embarrassed to say you don't know the answer and be incredibly humble when you're dealing with people because and dealing with others in the space, because I guarantee you, you don't know everything. And I guarantee you that your approach is not going to work with everyone. And so being very light on your feet and pivot. And on top of that, both Sid and I will be at MRC in Vegas. We'd love to hang out with you, talk. We'll, you know, happy to chat, have fun, have coffee, have some drinks. So like, yeah, feel free to come say hi to us anytime. Sid, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, I guess a parting thought is so something I've already said. I think I'd like to continue to emphasize. I think it's important to like view the people behind like these things as, as people, like people, not customers, people, not users, people, mm. like people. And I think it's, I, I, I understand why we tend to err on the side of using terms that like dissociate us a little bit, like customer user, because it can get like heavy and frightening to like have to confront the human element of it every time something like this happens and like we protect ourselves by stepping away from that but i think mm. it's also important not to step too far away from that because at the end of the day you are solving for people like you're not just solving as you said chris like to keep the bad users out you're solving to get the good users in so that they can have the speed, the access, the connectivity, right? Like those three key things for small businesses, especially. Yeah, it's just important to keep that in mind. I think like across the board, like you have to, yeah, you have to view them as people. Yeah, thinking about them more like, you know, someone's mo mother or someone's boss who needs to make payday or thinking about, right. you know, them as someone's child or whatever it is, is makes us a little bit more vulnerable than it does calling them users and customers. But it also helps us understand the importance of those decisions, right? They're not just data points. They're not decimal points. They're not basis points, right? They're people. And I think just that that next piece is that when you focus on the user, whether it's to keep them safe. And I love the fact that that's what your customers are saying, because that's honestly what I've been trying to say. Well, I have been saying that for months on the podcast, but there's starting to be some survey data that are saying that too, that, you know, especially in the economy and because of so many scams and fraud and other account security issues and everything else, consumers and businesses that do business B2B are making decisions to do business with companies that they like and trust. And that trust piece is where we come into play. And so I think that what you're saying, and I'm just filling it out a little bit more and just putting that exclamation dot on it is when you focus on or exclamation point on it, when uh, you focus on the customer and that you think of them as a human and you're making those decisions, how are you going to keep the bad guys out while also ensuring that the good guys can do whatever they need without locking themselves in or tripping on the tripwire or whatever analogy we're using? That grows revenue. That grows loyalty. That means that then the next time they are at a small business event, in your guys' case, people are talking about their bank and, uh, oh, well, I use Novo. They're awesome. You should go use them. Like, that's the best way to 
grow a business is by ensuring that your customers not only can do things quickly and uninhibited and they don't even think about it, but that they know that their money's safe with you. Their money is the most personal thing. And I want more companies and more fraud departments and more trust and safety departments to be thinking like that because that's not only how commerce is enabled and all of that, but that's also how we get out of the box that some of us have put ourselves in, myself included, at the beginning of my career, maybe even the middle sometimes, where, oh, fraud doesn't want to enable business. We're not going to let them to be in the room because they just want to stop as much as they can. So I think that like that full circle is how we get to this utopia that we, I mean, saying the word utopia in an aspect of fraud is like humorous in itself. Yeah. Like, Like, no, if we really were in a utopia, there just wouldn't be fraud. But it's a realistic one, right? And it's one that too often too many companies think, oh my gosh, friction means bad to the user. When we use friction in the right way at the right place to the right users, actually no. And as long as you let them continue to go through and you know not stop them and they know the purpose of it, that actually will make them feel safer, right? It's like if I'm trying to go out of a door, like just using our analogy one more time, right? If I'm trying to walk out the front door and it's locked, I'm actually going to for a minute go, huh, I'm glad I felt safer because it was locked. Now I can unlock it. Right. But I'm exactly. going to feel relieved. And so I think that's what really at the end of the day you guys are talking about. And I just, it's really awesome. I love, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I knew I would. I know that our listeners will too. And I'm excited to see you both in Vegas soon too, as I will be there too. And uh, Amazing. Yeah. And Matt, at some point you and I are going to have to actually be in the same room as each other. Because last year at Vegas, <laughs> we never... <laughs> We were both so busy that it yep. was like when we would say, hey, where are you? I'm on the opposite side. Oh, I, you know, <laughs> well, you also only came in for 24 hours. So this year, that's true. I'll be more. <laughs> that's true. And I like I'll be speaking at least at some point. So I'll and I'm I hope I'll be able to at least come hang out with you and see you speak at some point. It's always fun. And anyone out there that's listening, if you have the pleasure of going to see Chris uh, speak, I highly recommend it. It's, it's worth it. <laughs> Thank it's you. worth it. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you guys. And I, I enjoy speaking in person. I haven't been doing it as much, but I got to do it last week. It was really fun. So awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much again for all of your time and all of just, you know, sharing that with the community. I have a feeling that you'll be getting a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. I'll put your uh, links to your profiles in the show notes. I do always ask in the show notes, no solicitations, please. Uh, Really, you know, this is for collaboration. And if people just start out with, selling first that's not a good way to start a relationship anyway exactly but uh, well, thanks Chris. really appreciate it 100 percent. thanks you guys i'll talk to you soon sounds good that was such a fun conversation i mean in case you couldn't tell i really love geeking out with people like matt and sid about fraud strategy To us, it's always wanting to find a better way. And just like Matt said, that he'll call up soups and have say, hey, this is what I'm thinking, big picture, poke as many holes into as possible. Matt and I have done that for hours. There are other people in my life that I also enjoy doing that with. And while some of the companies that I work with just aren't there yet, there's a lot of companies that are. And there's a the bigger you get and the more the stakes get higher to provide a really excellent customer experience while also trying to keep 
as many bad actors out of your site. So it's not just about payment fraud anymore, right? It's promo code abuse. It's loyalty fraud. It's ATO. It's all these other things, right? Like Matt said, only being able to see a snapshot at the time of checkout or the time that an account is created and only being able to see what they give you as well as, you know, some behind the scenes information of device, but those can be emulated is kind of not seeing the whole picture. And I love the analogy that Matt gave about the security system and all that. It was really good. And this is something I've been thinking about for the last year. So I think I mentioned we didn't compare notes because I didn't want to know, right? He said, make sure you ask us about tripwires and landmines. Well, I have different terminology for that. So I wasn't even thinking that it would be the same thing. So a little bit behind the scenes, like after, as soon as I got done pressing record, I asked Sid and Matt if they're working with spec on this vision for fraud intelligence and like understanding more about the user journey to reduce friction on good customers and just having a few tripwires and landmines throughout the user journey whenever there's unusual or unexplainable journey. And they kind of looked at me like, no. And Matt said, I've heard you talk about them, but I don't know who they are. And I'm like, well, how are you guys doing this? Well, you know, we're having several contracts with different providers and doing a different risk stack. And we're lucky that we have our founders are so big on security for our customers and for our company that we're going to have, you know, four or five APIs running and four or five contracts. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe you should look into spec because you don't even need one API with them, right? They connect to those providers or they already are connected to those providers in some cases. And spec then connects to you. So there's no API and you get to see the entire user journey and then feed that information up to those providers. So they allow you to see the full picture. And they both were like, what? And to be honest, it's been a few days and I received two text messages from Matt asking me to introduce him to my friends at Spec. And I actually have to do that right now as soon as I'm done recording this because uh, it's not fair. But next Tuesday's episode is actually going to be with the CEO of Spec, Nate Carl. And as much as I you know, really hesitated about having sponsors and all that, at the same time, I think it's so important for the fraud industry. And I think all of you want to understand what new technology is out there. And these guys are revolutionizing it. And while there are other people out there saying no code, no code, this is very different. This isn't just providing new data. It's really different. So just make sure that you're looking at it. Sid and Matt and the team of spec and me will all be at the MRC Vegas conference March 5th through the 9th. So if you're planning to go to, feel free to send us a note in the app or on LinkedIn or grab one of us in the hallway. I mean, gently, please. And we'd love to nerd out when and if we have time. But I just wanted to add this note because it's so crazy how... I hadn't had time to talk to my friend Matt in so long. We have on a podcast. He's talking about this vision he has for his company. And it's the same one that I have been feeling like for the last year. Like, wow, this is possible. This is exactly what we need is we need to be able to widen the lens and be able to see everything that someone does from the second they go on our website and then be able to plug into different providers depending on the different journeys and the different scenarios. And that's exactly what he was doing too. Just not as easy. So I'm going to go send that email right now. <laughs> and then I hope that you also look up on the website www.specprotected.com to get more information. And I look forward to you hearing my interview with Nate Carl next Tuesday. And uh, I will talk to you then.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.